God bless you, church. How is everyone this morning? All right. Um, I'm going to share this real quick because the Lord revealed this to me, I truly believe, just a few moments ago, and it's okay. Uh, that first song that uh, Isaiah and Michelle uh, played right now, uh, you know, great, is it, what's, it, what's the title? Gracefully Broken? Okay, so I'm not saying you got to run around saying you're broken, but the reality is we're all broken. It's okay to be broken. To be broken gracefully means that you're on the trajectory to be built back up to what the Lord created you to be. The reality is this. There's only two kind of brokens in this world. You're either going to allow yourself to be broken by the Lord to be built back up like I had just alluded to, or Satan is going to break you, but he's going to break you to destroy your soul. So we need to be aware of that. So it's okay. Like I said, when someone asks you how you're doing, you can be like, hey, I'm broken, but I'm in the Lord. Amen? It's a good thing. All right. Uh, I just want to say real quick, too, you know, we're continuing to pray for uh, for uh, the King family, for Gail's husband's family. Alex, he lost his brother uh, this week to, to COVID. Um, I do believe uh, Gail said that a pastor came. So I don't know if, if he was saved or he got saved in that time. But amen. So praise God. He went to go ahead and be with the Lord. You know, there's been a lot that's been hitting us directly, you know, recently, uh, your, your son's uh, uh, girlfriend's mother had passed from COVID not too long ago. A lot's been going on. You guys all know Maria's been in the hospital. Um, I've been, I, I know uh, several of you have been in contact with her, which is awesome. That, that's showing that, that love and support, right? We're doing what we can even at a distance. Um, you know, I've spoken to her pretty much every day this week and praise God that we see uh, a shift and a change that it looks like the Lord is, is sparing her life for this season. So she's gaining her strength and all that. So continue to pray for her in that. We know Sal and Cherry, uh, they, were, they were exposed to the virus and the Lord had favor on them in that, that they didn't, uh, they didn't get sick and didn't get ill. So praise God for that as well. And, and just another thing, it's, a, it's the reality of, you know, the Lord is sovereign and the Lord's will uh, will be done. And uh, whether he chooses to spare an individual for another season on this earth or he chooses to take his child home, um, there's blessings in all of it. I'm not saying that it's easy to see a loved one or someone close to us depart and leave this earth. But remember, uh, our goal is not to live here forever. We know this is not our eternal home, our eternal destiny. And so uh, the main thing that a soul would receive Jesus Christ as their savior before they lose breath, that is the most important thing. And so we can rejoice in that and praise him even in the worst of times. So I uh, just wanted to share that with you all this morning. We will be uh, in Acts chapter 21 again, uh, moving on, continuing on in this chapter. And it's been a crazy ride. Just all the different things that we've seen so far in the book of Acts. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a testament to the Lord and a miracle that we've even made it this far uh, to be in the book of Acts. Uh, just to see the persistence uh, that the Lord provides us to continue on and to hear from him in his word. So we'll be in Acts chapter 21 verses 15 through, down through 26. And uh, when you get there, if you could stand briefly, we'll go ahead and read the text and get into our message this morning. Acts, God bless you. Acts chapter 21, verses 15 through 26. 
and it reads, After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of who, of, of those who had believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to, far, to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to dive into your word. Thank you for the reality and the truth that there is liberty in your son Jesus Christ to worship freely and that we're not bound by the things of the past. Lord, may you speak to us through your word now. Show us Jesus in this. Show us where the liberty in Christ is and where the freedom from sin and from all the other things that so easily entangle us are. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. So that's a whole lot, it seems like, but we can really simplify it by stating freedom in Christ. And there is freedom in Christ. One, there's freedom from the bondage of sin. Being entangled, entrenched in sin, being able to not get rid of certain things that so consume your life. But once you are saved and once you surrender your life to Christ, there's freedom from sin's grasp. Uh, sin will still pop up, right? Because we have that, that, that nature that is in us because of the fall, but we are free to choose not to sin. Before that, there's no way you cannot sin. You're inherently going to sin because we don't have the ability to avoid it. There's also freedom in Christ in the sense of there's liberty and freedom to actually serve Him. You can find your joy and your peace in Him. You can be liberated in your serving of the Lord. Today we will see that Paul finally touches down to Jerusalem. He's been through a whole lot just to get to this point, right? Last week on Zoom, we, we saw that many people continued to try to deter him. They kept saying, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be persecuted. 
You're, you go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be good. There's going to be bad things that are going to happen to you. Paul already had the peace from the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, I know. And I'm willing to sacrifice my life and to lay my life down for the sake of the Lord. So I accept the circumstances that are going to come about when I enter into Jerusalem. So here, he's finally touching down. How excited he was for this time to finally come. We are going to learn about the first things that he experienced when he got there. He shared a great testimony of how the Lord had worked through his life and how he saw many Gentiles be brought to Christ and be saved. He's also in this same uh, setting going to be falsely accused. There are going to be accusations that are going to be brought up to Paul from the elders in Jerusalem that are going to tell him, hey, you've been teaching false things. You've been teaching things uh, that are against what we believe in our Jewish customs. And we're going to see lastly how Paul would end up taking a vow, but taking a vow in the sense of doing it to see more souls saved for Christ. Okay, here are the three main points that we're going to focus on this morning. And the first one is this. As we see with Paul, we as believers should have a detailed testimony of how we have seen God continue to work in the lives of other people. When Paul got to Jerusalem, he was so excited to share with the Jewish brothers how the Lord had been working through the Gentiles. This was important because Paul was trying to share how Jesus Christ bridges the gap between himself and people of all races and cultures. Up until this point, many Jews still believed that the Messiah was only for them. They didn't realize that the Messiah came for the Gentiles as well. Everyone else that's not, uh, you know, has uh, Israeli blood or, or ties to that land is a Gentile. So that means every other cultural race creed. The Lord came for all people. The unhealthy view of Gentiles being considered not a, few, a full human being, right? Considered like a dog. This was still... Uh, this still was alive and well in the in the minds of many Jewish people. And so they had to get over this, this hurdle, so to speak, and understand that the Lord came for the Gentiles as well. Now, I will say this. The Lord did come first for the Jews. The Jews are his chosen people. The Jews are the, the people instrument that Almighty God chose to reveal himself and his, and, and his mandates to the world. But he also came for everyone else after that. So the Jews do hold a special place in the Lord's eyes. But again, when you, when you look in and you see things that Abraham said, who, what is a true Jew? A true Jew is someone who, who, who in, at heart is living out the life that the Lord has said for them. Not necessarily heritage. Blood is only so much. You can't, you can't rely on your, your blood or your race to get you into heaven. You have to rely on the blood of Christ. And that's why a converted Gentile can be just as effective and love just as much as someone who has Jewish blood through and through. So that's the first main point. The second main point is this. Even with the good done through you for the Lord, there will be some who misunderstand the works that are done through your life and they're going to spread false accusations or rumors about you. 
We look at Paul here. Even though Paul shared this great truth about God's move over the Gentiles, some of the Jewish leaders took it as him forsaking their Jewish rituals and their Jewish customs. They didn't understand what the Lord was actually doing through Paul. And so because of this misunderstanding, they started to spread these these, 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 these statements that were not true, saying that Paul was teaching that they needed the, the Jewish brothers and sisters needed to forsake the customs, forsake the traditions that they had held so dear to them in the law. Paul never said that, but they started spreading this around. All they heard was Paul was teaching that converted Jews, again, should forsake these traditions. But this wasn't true. What Paul did teach was that Gentiles were equal to Jews in Christ. And some Jewish people despised that. We see plenty of this, unfortunately, still in our culture today. Not with Jews and Gentiles, but with races. Why would somebody say, black people are only good, white people are not good? Or vice versa, or any other race. But unfortunately, we still see that trend where people are stuck on race or class when ultimately... The foot of the cross equals everybody. The reality is, we're all, I was just talking to Cindy's husband a second ago, and we're all going to cross that chasm where we're going to have to face death. Um, I I was watching a Zoom for one of my brothers. It was his 58th birthday on Friday, and uh, it was so funny. He was like, I want to have a little Zoom thing and and have a little family family movie for the kids. And how many are familiar with Pilgrim's Progress? The book, right? I didn't know that they made like an animated cartoon movie, right? And so he's like, it's got Christian values, this and that. We're like, okay, cool. We started watching it. I mean, that thing was real as far as like the graphics and stuff. You know, like us personally, we don't really like Kalos and Tirza watching, you know, where the faces look crazy. I mean, the demons in that cartoon movie were real. <laughs> there was just points where I was like, hey, <laughs> You know, not to not to try to keep him in a bubble, but I'm like, man, I'm like, and my, and my brother, mind you, he's 58, no kids, got a lot of nephews, nieces, this and that. But I, and I was telling Veronica, so funny, the one person that said this is kid friendly got no kids. I said it might have been cool for a youth group, somebody like 13, 14, 15, but I don't want, I don't think no five year old, you know, should be seeing demons looking like that straight up. But. It was just a funny thing. I totally forgot the point, but you know what? That was just, it was a good time to be able to watch that. And just the truth in that Pilgrim's Progress movie, you seeing that like our walks, they're going to be grimy in this life because there's a lot that goes on and Satan's always going to try to deter you. Minions and demons are always going to try to get you off track. You just need to stay on point, stay focused, stay living for the Lord. Amen. All right. The Lord had his own reasons to choose the Jews to reveal his values to the world. That we don't know. It was in the Lord's infinite wisdom that he chose to do that. All the while, the Lord is not partial to anyone. He does not hold anyone higher or less than anyone. Anyone's sin can be forgiven by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reality also is, we going back to the point of, the good work that's done through you will sometimes be misunderstood by people and people can spread rumors or lies about you. The reality is you look at Jesus, right? We look at his life. All he did was good. 
All he did was lay his life down for humanity to have the opportunity to be saved and to live forever. And what happened? There was nothing but accusations and false testimonies laid against him. That's our Savior and our Lord. So if it happened to him, we only must understand that there will come times where these same similar false accusations in the sense of someone misinterpreting the good that you're doing for Christ is going to be misconstrued. I'm sure everyone here in this group has had at least one experience where you've done something good for the Lord and someone else has misconstrued it and tried to call it false or bad or you weren't doing right. That's just, again, another form of subtle persecution, but it happens. And it happens because, again, if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, dare I say you are filled with an unclean spirit, and at the very least, you're influenced by unclean spirits. And these unclean spirits are going to try to wreak havoc on what the Lord is doing in and through your life because they don't, the enemy of your soul does not want to see your life being used to lead more people to Christ. All right, the final main point for this morning is this. We need to be aware that some believers may observe some traditions that you and I don't hold to. But as long as it is not a salvational issue and it doesn't go against Scripture, we should be able to agree to disagree and be settled on the matter. Please hear me correctly. I am in no way condoning unbiblical beliefs. What we see here is the Jewish leaders, again, they thought Paul was teaching that Jewish converts needed to forsake their Jewish customs in order to be saved. But this was absolutely incorrect. Again, what Paul taught was in order to be saved, you must receive Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, as your personal Savior. Whether or not a Jew kept the traditions or not had no bearing on if they were saved or they were not. We still see this same issue again alive today. There's so many parallels from what's going on right now in the book of Acts to what we see today in our present culture. It's actually the reality of why we have so many different denominations. Did you ever have you ever thought about that? Why are there so many different denominations? If it's just Jesus Christ, why can't we just worship Christ as that? Why do we have to have to have this and that title and that title? Because it, it, it can get misconstrued. And then some denominations don't like other denominations because they're like, well, you use instruments and we don't use instruments. And, and we, you know, we speak in tongues and you don't speak in tongues. And we run around the building and, and jump up and down. And you guys are more kind of solemn and chill. And, you know, there's a lot of that that still goes on today. What that means is non-denominational. That's what we that's what we identify as, right? As a church, if if there was a title for whatever for things to be filled out, we're considered a non-denominational church. That just means we just hold what the Bible says as true. We don't add, we don't take away. We're 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 not we're not tripping. I mean, back in the day in in this time in the book of Acts, they were called the way. They weren't called anything else. They weren't called Christians, they weren't called anything else. It was just the way because they followed the way of Christ. We just want to follow Christ. We don't identify with any specific denomination, but we, again, we identify with the risen Christ. The thing to remember is this. 
And, and this got brought up to me a long time ago, and, 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 and I had to understand it. Are these things that we can battle about, are they a salvational issue? If someone believes that Jesus Christ is their only means to salvation, then in the Lord's time, he will sort out all the little minor details of, you know, preferences and whatnot. These minor things, they only become bigger problems when we decide everyone needs to do things exactly like, like we do. And then there's this headbutting because it's like, well, I don't, I mean, think about it. If we went to Zimbabwe right now or whatever, maybe they're having a night service, right? Because whatever. Do you think that they're worshiping the Lord exactly like we are here in Milpitas, California? There's going to be differences. But those subtle differences, as long as the salvational issue is not an issue and people are trusting in Christ as their only means of salvation, all the other stuff, you know, we can agree to disagree or just be okay with the fact that it's a little bit different. It's because of the culture, whatever. The danger lies in thinking upholding any kind of traditions plays a role in your salvation or mine. When we start believing that what we do, that's, that has a means to how we're saved, then we're completely wrong. Because it's not about, oh, you know, my grandpappy played the drums for so long, and so that's what we do in the church, and blah, blah, blah. That's fine, but that tradition can be broken. That tradition doesn't mean you're going to go to hell if, if, you don't stop play, if you don't play the drums anymore, or if you don't do other certain traditions, right? It's not about that. We have to always understand it's only the blood of Christ that saves us and redeems us, not the things that we adopt as traditions and customs and practices in our personal way we worship the Lord. Okay, let's go ahead and look at these verses now. Verses 15 and 16, it says, After these days we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Paul and his companions finally were on their way to Jerusalem. Paul's deep love for his Jewish brothers and sisters made every trip important. You can read about that in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He goes over it again and how, you know, he would just love to go to Jerusalem and share what has been going on with his brothers and sisters there. So here we're introduced to Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple. This is just a little basic history real quick. Based on the dating of Paul's Corinthian ministry at about A.D. 51, it's reasonable to think that Paul probably arrived in Jerusalem somewhere A.D. 57. That's what the scholars believe. Even though this was some 25 years after the beginning of the book of Acts, some Christians were already recognized as early disciples, as we see with Manasseh here, one who has been associated with following Jesus from the earlier years. So that's what those few verses talk about. Let's move on to the next couple. So we're at 17 through 22. This is kind of part of the heart of the message right here. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there among the Jews of those who have believed? They are zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. 
What is to be done then? They will certainly hear that you have come. Okay, so this is what's going on. Upon arriving to Jerusalem, Paul met with the elders of the church. James was there and, and other elders and gave them a full report of the work that was going on, the preaching and the teaching to the Gentiles, the churches that were being planted all across this region. And he was just sharing how good and faithful the Lord had been. The elders in Jerusalem, they were thankful. They were very thankful for what God was doing among the Gentiles. They saw some of these Gentile converts with Paul, and they could tell that they had genuine love and commitment to Jesus Christ. This is a good thing, the sharing, the testimony that Paul was sharing with them. A question that we need to answer. When was the last time you and I had good news to share with someone of how we have witnessed Jesus Christ working in someone's life? When was the last time, right? This, this should be something that we should be readily sharing with someone like, man, I saw the Lord work like this this week, or I saw the Lord do this. I've witnessed the Lord in my own life, in, in my personal family, doing this and that, right? There should be an ongoing testimony of what the Lord is doing in and through your life and how you're seeing people's lives affected by the work that the Lord is doing in and through you, amen? This is something that we should be seeing readily. There's something terribly wrong if we can't remember the last time we have witnessed the Lord do something mighty in and through your life or in and through the lives of other people associated with you. Because that means, you know when the, the Bible talks about dry bones, right? If you don't have that, tem, that testimony experience on a regular basis, I'm sorry to say, but you got some dry bones. And you know dry bones are very brittle and they break very easy. You need to get some, some fluid, some movement in those bones so they can be alive again, right? Spiritually speaking, right? Again, this is that whole idea of, 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 of analyzing our walk and seeing and saying and being honest. This, is, this just goes back to that whole thing of, you know what, we're broken. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to not put on a front because the reality is we have to be real. Lord, am I allowing you to use my life? Am I flexible? Am I allowing you to do the things you want to do so I can have a testimony, right? We're supposed to be living testimonies. That means if you're a living testimony, that means it's ongoing. It doesn't have moments where there's nothing going on. There's always something going on. There's always a testimony to be given as we see Paul here with the Jewish elders. The application for us is this. We, like Paul, again, should have an ongoing testimony of the work we see Jesus doing in people's lives. We should have good news to report, even in this season of life that where it seems like things are just chaotic and a lot of just crazy things are going on in and around us. There still should be good news to report to people. The elders of Jerusalem were happy for what God was doing amongst the Gentiles, but they also heard that Paul was teaching Jewish converts that they had to forsake their Jewish traditions. Not, we're not sure how this rumor began, but we can assume someone either didn't pay close enough attention to what was going on and what was being originally said, and they just went off on their own train of thought. That's how lies happen. That's how rumors spread. It's like when you're in the classroom with 25 kids and the teacher says, whispers you know, one thing in the, in the kid's ear, 
oh, the cat had black hair. And then it wants every kid to say it to everybody. And then when it gets to the last kid, it said something like the Twinkie had, you know what I'm saying, cream in it. And I ate it at lunch on the, on the playground. It's like, the teacher didn't say that? How did, how did that message of the cat being black or whatever get convoluted to a Twinkie with cream in it on a playground? But that's what happens when it goes through people and people don't pay attention. That's what could have happened here. We're assuming because how was it that all of a sudden they're saying Paul's teaching that Jewish people need to just get away from the customs that they had? He never taught that at all. <clears throat> in the Jewish, in Jerusalem, the Christian community was, was almost entirely from a Jewish background. They were all Jews. And these Christians still valued many of their Jewish laws and customs. As the text says, they were still zealous for the law. They were very passionate about following the law of Moses. But this is where the problem lies. There were many converts here, which was a good thing. These new believers accepted Christ while not forsaking the Mosaic law. But the thing about this was they couldn't insist that Gentiles must come under this same law. And this is the interesting thing. They couldn't say, as a, as a Gentile, you have to follow the law of Moses. But by the same token, Gentiles couldn't in, in, insist that these Jewish converts had to forsake their practices of the law as well. As long, and this is the caveat here, this is the reality. As long as the Jewish people did not look to the law of Moses for salvation, meaning they kept their traditions... If they thought that keeping their traditions saved them, now they're in a whole world of trouble. But if they chose to keep these, these, these mosaic traditions, because this is what they were brought up in, and they believe, they feel led by the Lord because they're Jews, that they wanted to continue to practice this, as long as they looked to Jesus Christ as their Savior, they were fine. The same grace of God which freed the Gentiles from keeping the law also allowed Jews to continue in these traditions of observance of the law if they felt it was from the Lord. An example, remember Peter. He never ate anything contrary to the Mosaic law until he visited Paul in Antioch. And remember, when the Lord gave him the vision of, of that sheet coming down with all different kind of animals on, and he said, Peter, get up and eat. Kill and eat. He was like, what? I've never had nothing like that. I mean, you know, uh, you know the Jews, they, they looked at the sea as... You know, because in Revelation it talks about the, the, the dragon that comes up from the sea and, and, and the fact of anything that comes from the sea is disgusting and despicable and evil. They look at like, there's also something in Revelation where it talks about the, the, this frog and it had the resemblance of a frog. And they look at frogs as grotesque. They don't look at things like that as right. So they would never eat shellfish. God bless you. They wouldn't eat shellfish or anything like that because they thought, you know, it, it, it was not good the things that came out from the ocean. But the Lord was showing... Peter, in this sense that, look, it's okay. Speaking of the Gentiles, it's okay. It's okay. You can kill and eat because on the playing field of what Jesus Christ came to do, everyone is okay. You're clean and that they're clean in the sense that I'm calling them clean. But we have to understand, again, the Jews would never eat any food offered to idols. But for the Gentiles, it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> they were eating it up. You know, it was, it was like, what? That's more for me. You don't want to eat that? I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, it's a whole different religion. But, you know, some people, right, they don't eat bacon. I'll eat the bacon. I ain't tripping. I'll eat the bacon, the pig, whatever. You know, just fry it, kill it. Just fry the sin out of that thing, and it's okay to eat. All right? 
But the reality is this. We have to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters, right? Because if eating this kind of food causes someone else to stumble, then it could be considered wrong. Remember, there's freedom in Christ to do things that are within the framework of what Christ allows. But again, we need to be sensitive. It's a simple thing like, um, you know, take alcohol, okay? Um, you know, I, I, I used to be, you know, big in, in, in partying when I was younger. And, you know, I've been, gosh, it's almost been 11 years now. I've been clean and sober from every substance I can imagine. I don't put nothing in my body anymore. Um, but, you know, say you have someone who's a Christian. They're saved. And they choose to have an adult beverage or two, whatever, you know. I'm not going to sit up here and say don't do it. If you have, if you're okay with it, then you're okay with it. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of it, you're okay with it. But what if you have someone over your house and they're a recovering addict? You got to have the discernment to think, should I crack open this adult beverage or should I pour this drink right now? Or should I have this glass of wine when I know I'm dealing with someone who's recovering from alcoholism and alcohol abuse, right? It's not law. It's lawful to do all things, but it's not lawful to do something if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse eight tells us this food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. Paul wrote that if a person was brought up under certain customs, the grace of God allowed them to follow those customs after they accepted Christ as their savior. Again, from first Corinthians chapter seven, verses 17 through 20. And excuse me if I'm coming over here. You know, I really don't like standing in the sun. <laughs> People be like, I like your complexion. I want to be dark. Like, you know what? I, it, it burns me. I hate wearing these masks because I feel like I always got some kind of suntan line after I go home. I'm like, man, why does the left side of my face look darker than the other? I can't stand it. It's just silly. So if I'm like this, don't mind me. All right. First Corinthians 7, 17 through 20. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or her. I'm not adding, but that's what it means. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Excuse me. But keeping the commandments of God. That's the, that's the main kicker right there. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Keep the commandments. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And that's so poignant because, you know, again, the physical act back then in the day of circumcision, it was to separate the Jews from these pagan people that worship false gods. But the true heart of the matter was to be circumcised of the heart. If you're physically circumcised, but you're living like a pagan, it doesn't really matter, right? Jesus spoke about it. If you look upon an individual with the, with the intent of some form of sexual lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That doesn't mean go ahead and do commit the physical act, but it means everything's already there for the physical act to take place because it's already deep in your heart. 
the malice and hate that one could have for another. I don't have to shoot somebody if I already have the hate embedded in my heart. That's what Jesus always talked about, working on the heart. May the condition of our hearts be right. That way, our lips are a reflection from what's in our heart. And so many times I get convicted because I'm like, man, not that I'm cussing or nothing, but it's an attitude thing too, right? I'm like, man, I, <laughs> it's like the prophet. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, 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 I am amongst the people of unclean lips because sometimes the things that come out of my mouth in my personal time in my home when I'm frustrated dealing with my kid, my son, not my daughter. She's too young for that. But with my son, I get frustrated. And I'm like, wow, Lord, a wretch that I am. And it goes back to that. I'm okay to say I'm broken. As your pastor, I'm broken, straight up. I'm broken. I know there's nothing good within me. It's only the the love of God. It's only the grace of God. It's only the righteousness of Christ that makes me able to stand up and rightfully divide the word of God in my private life and my personal life. Because the reality is I recognize I'm a broken person. I don't know who said it, but... It's so true. The closer you get to Jesus, the more nasty you see yourself as. You're like, dude, man, I'm busted. I'm broken. I'm just tore up. But that's okay. Because he's going to be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you who you need to be. I'm going to take all that dirt off. I'm gonna, you know, you're going to get it eventually. You're going to eventually stop doing those things. You're going to eventually be in a better place. But that's that, again, that honest assessment. Because that's where the danger is where I think some of these Jews were. If I could quite just say it like this, they just thought their stuff didn't stink. (laughs) They thought they were good. They're like, I keep the laws. I'm circumcised. I know all this. I do the the weird hand washing where I let the water dribble down my, my hands before I touch anything. And, you know, and because I observe all these things, I'm good in the sight of the Lord. But it's not. Remember, the Pharisees and the tax collector. I mean, excuse me, the tax collector and um, the, uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisee was like, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this dude. I'm not, you know, I'm so good, blah, blah, blah. Probably dumped a whole lot of money in the offering plate. The tax collector, he couldn't even lift his head up to acknowledge the Lord. His countenance was so humble because he recognized his brokenness. He recognized his sinful state. But he left that temple justified. Not the Pharisees who said, I'm all good because I'm a Pharisee. You see my robe? You see my white beard? (laughs) I'm good. It's like, dude. That's all exterior stuff. We want the inside of our cup to be just as clean as the outside, right? It don't matter if we look all polished and nice on the outside, but then, man, whoo, your personality stank. It's not, it's not good. Like the Grinch, you know? It's like a banana with a greasy black peel. <laughs> we don't want to be people like that. We want to be those that allow the Holy Spirit to do that intrinsic work on the inside. And then from out of that you'll see the fruit, you'll see the actions of your life portrayed in a way that the Holy Spirit wants. And you'll be like, wow, that's cool, praise God. And that's gonna give you all the more reason to praise Him because you know that it's only from Him that you could even act out these things and be loving and be caring and, and, and have that ability because it comes from God Himself. That's His character in you, amen? All right. Sorry, I got a little off track there. Okay, the application is this. As long as we don't look to our traditions that we practice to save us, we're fine. Traditions in and of themselves are not bad. They can actually be a good thing. But it's when we look to our traditions as the end in and of themselves is where we have a very big 
problem. This is a great example. Okay, Christmas time, right? Many people put up a Christmas tree. This is a tradition that we have accepted. We adopted it. I'm not sure where this tradition came from, but it's not found anywhere in the Bible. I actually think it's a Roman tradition, but I actually think it even goes back further to Egypt and a lot of the pagan cultures. They would cut down trees and they would array them with gold and different metals and, and, and garlands and whatnot, and, and, and they would worship these trees. This is where this practice actually came from, if you really dig and find out about it. It's not, Jesus Christ didn't have a, a Christmas tree up. You know what I mean? The Apostle Paul did not have a Christmas tree up. I'm sorry, they didn't put presents underneath it. This is something that we've adopted over time. Some people who are believers are very sensitive to this. And they don't put up a Christmas tree at Christmas time because they believe it and they see it as a pagan ritual. And that's fine. That's okay. If you feel led and you're like, you know what? My family ain't celebrating Christmas with a Christmas tree because I'm a real Christian. And I don't do Christmas trees because it's pagan. It's just like putting an X-M-A-S. That's not right. I'm not making fun. I'm, I'm just, well, maybe I am poking a little. But that's okay if you feel that way. It's also okay if you choose to put up a Christmas tree and you decorate it. Because whether you have a tree up or not doesn't play into your salvation. It's only a problem if your beliefs in your Christianity are steeped in these Christian rituals and you lose sight of what Christmas is as a whole in its entirety anyways, right? If you're looking at Christmas as, I just want my gifts, I just want candy canes, I just want stockings, I just want blah, 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 then you've missed the point. Even, even, if, even, if, even if your whole thing is, I just want to give gifts, I just want to see people smile, I just want to see people happy, I want to give, 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 that's cool too, but that's not the heart of Christmas. If you remember that Christmas is about the Messiah coming as a baby in human form to live a life, 33 years old, then be that living sacrifice, to be that perfect spotless lamb, to die on that cross, to lay his life down, to take it back up, so humanity, whoever chooses to receive the free gift of salvation, could have eternal life forever. If you see that's what Christmas is, I don't care how many Christmas trees you put up, you're right in the sight of the Lord because you understand what Christmas is about. If you fail to recognize that that's what Christmas is about, I don't care how many gifts you give to how many people, you've missed the point. All right, last two verses, 22, 23, excuse me, down through 25. Do therefore what we tell you. This is the, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem speaking to Paul. We have four men who are under, the, uh, under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men the next day and he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented to each one of them. Okay, so just a quick recap as we begin to wind this message down. Here's the situation. Paul's arrived in Jerusalem. 
He's been given a royal reception. Everyone's happy to see him. He's given them the gifts that the Gentile churches came. Remember, that's one of the main reasons he wanted to go. He had the offerings from all the churches. Because he did so much harm back when he was Saul, he didn't want some Gentile coming and dropping off the money. He wanted to personally give it because he wanted to say, hey, this is what they've been doing. This is what I see the Lord's been doing. And he felt personally responsible. So he gave them that. He also listed off all the things that were going on within the, uh, the Gentile churches. He, he had a re- review of everything that had been done. And so they were happy to hear that. Then these Jewish leaders told him that thousands of Jews have turned to Christ as their Savior. They didn't want division in the church, but they knew that some Jews had different views than Gentiles as far as these customs of the law and the regulations of the law. So they were saying, what do we do? We're trying to figure out how we cannot make a big stink about this. A Jew doesn't have to stop being a Jew after they come to Christ. So basically they said, if you want to bring more Jews to Christ, you need to take these four men who made a vow and go with them, pay for them so they can have their heads shaved and observe this, this, uh, this vow. Paul didn't take the vow because he was commanded to do so. He had to rationalize in the Holy Spirit, not in his own thinking. And he was led to take the vow because he wanted to see more Jews led to Christ. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. For I, excuse me, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Please don't get mixed up in this. (laughs) Just follow the words. To To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, meaning Christ through him can save. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. So we see clearly that this is in scripture. You know, he took, he related to people as the different people came across. And that's how you kind of got to do it. You know, if you're unrelatable, how is somebody going to, how is it going to resonate And that's that whole thing. Like, we don't have to be all uppity. We don't have to think we're super spiritual because we're not. We're just regular people that want to share the love of Christ. You also don't want to go cramming the Bible down somebody's throat who's apprehensive of Jesus Christ. You just need to live in a way, in a manner that reflects the love of Christ. That's being all things to all people because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And in the Lord's time that conviction and that conversion will occur. Paul understood this very well, and that's why he was doing these things. He wasn't doing it because, well, I got to take a vow now. No, he didn't, have, he, had, he didn't have to do anything. But he said, you know what? In spite of this, I want to see more of my Jewish brothers and sisters saved, and so I will go ahead and I will take this vow. But concerning the Gentiles to be, who believed, uh, the Jerusalem elder, elders understood that this had nothing to do with Gentiles who believed in Jesus. It didn't mean that they had to perform any Jewish ritual to be right with God. Paul would rightly refuse to compromise on this important point. For us today, in closing, we may 
recognize that there is freedom in Christ to worship. It may look a little different depending on where you go in the country. It may look a little different depending on where you go or where you could go in the world. But as long as there is not a salvational issue at hand, our brothers and sisters around the world are free to worship Him how the Lord sees fit. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you again for just your word, Lord, how you reveal so much of your rich truth to us. Thank you that there is freedom in Christ to worship, Lord, that we don't have to be bound by uh, any any tradition, Lord. Maybe, maybe we decide to start our own tradition. I don't know. As long as it doesn't interfere with the saving grace of you and it doesn't interfere with the fact that it's only by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, that an individual is saved from hell and sent to heaven for eternity, then we're okay to do so. Thank you for that. And thank you for the work that you're doing in, our, in and through our lives. May you continue to reveal your rich truths. May you continue to use us in a mighty way. There's many people that are hurting. There's many people that need hope. And the only hope that comes, comes from your son, Jesus Christ. May we be vessels, clean vessels, used for your honor and for your glory. We thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen.